0: Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit ChristCovenant.com. com. Give me seated. Well, our scripture reading for today comes from 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me there. Uh, just so you know, we always have copies of uh, different copies of the Bible available on your way in. Uh, there's a table kind of in this little entryway over there. And so. Feel free to grab one of those. Second uh, Corinthians, uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 3, verse 12 through 18. Second Corinthians three, twelve through 18. Of course, we believe the Apostle Paul is writing these things to the church in Corinth, but that he is writing them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And therefore, these words come to us today with authority, uh, with the same kind of authority as if Jesus himself were speaking to us. So let's hear together the word of Christ. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if you've been with us over the past few weeks, we've been in a sermon series that that we're calling Ordo Salutis, um, which is kind of an ancient term, a technical term to talk about the order of salvation. We've been talking about the, the doctrine of salvation. How is one saved? How does one come into a right relationship with God? How is one redeemed? How is someone's relationship with God that's been broken by sin restored and they come into the Christian life? Uh, And it's been a great series for us to think about these things. We've looked at some ideas, some words that I'm sure you probably heard throughout your journey in the Christian life. Maybe if you're new to church or new to faith, these are kind of new words to you, but hopefully it's been clarifying. First week we talked about regeneration, this, this idea that in Christ we are Born anew, that there is a new birth, that, that literally through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, our eyes and our hearts can be opened so that we can see God rightly and see ourselves rightly before Him and, and realize that we have a great need of a Savior. The second week or last week we talked about this this big kind of Christian idea called justification. The the way that in Christ we are justified or made right before God. And we said this amazing idea, this amazing truth that Christians believe it's unique to Christianity, that the way that Christians are made right is through the justifying work of Christ, that that our record of sin, our record of disobedience against God is applied to Jesus, and Jesus willingly, with our record of sin, went to the cross on our behalf, and in the same way, in the same way that our record was applied to Jesus, through faith in him, his record is applied to us. And so through faith in Jesus, not only are we freed from our sins, but we actually receive the perfect and complete righteousness of Christ. Now, this leads you, though, to ask a really important question that I want to look at this week. If you are justified freely. Right? We call this justification by faith alone or free justification. If that's true, if, if the Christian doctrine of justification is true, that one is justified through faith in Christ alone, then why should we pursue righteousness? Right? If our righteousness is wrapped up in the work of Christ, if, if we have been given the perfect record of Jesus, then, then, then why are we pursuing righteousness? Why are we having to do anything, right? Paul, later on in Romans, we looked at Romans uh, 3 last week, but later on in Romans, Paul says, look, where our sin increases, the grace of God increases all the more, all right? And so God, even though we've sinned a lot, God's grace is, is really on display. And so then Paul has to ask the question, well, then should we keep on sinning? so that God's grace may abound, so that his glory may abound. And if you've ever asked this question, or if you've ever kind of wondered, how do these two things work together? How do these two truths stand aside one another that, that yes, we have been freely justified in Christ, yet in Christ we are to pursue righteousness and Pursue holiness. If you ever kind of wondered why and how those work together, I'm really glad that you came today. And we kind of continue this journey of understanding salvation as we talk about this, the next kind of doctrine in the order of salvation, in this ordo salutis of sanctification, this Christian idea of sanctification. Now, the word here is helpful. This is, again, one of these words that if you've been around the church for a long time, maybe you've heard but never really understood what it means. The, the etymology here, it comes from Latin sanctus, which is holy, right? It's where we get the word like sanctuary, and facare, which means to make, right? So, Sanctus facare, to make holy. Facare is where we get the, the idea of like factory, where something is, is made. So it, it, sanctification is the process by which we are made holy, where we are made right. Uh, Paul, uh, uh, God says in the, in the book of Leviticus, be holy as I am holy. So you could say that sanctification is the process whereby we are made to be like God. And I think that this passage, 2 Corinthians 3, is so helpful. And there's three things I want to look at with you in the passage today. Three things that, that we want to lift up out of this passage. The first is the prerequisite for sanctification. Second is the result of sanctification. And then lastly, the way of sanctification. So let's talk about the prerequisite. The prerequisite for sanctification. So remember in school, you want to take some class, you're really excited. It's a really cool class where they're like, well, if you have to take, if you want to take this class, you got to take all these really boring classes, right? You, you have to take all these prerequisites in order to be able to take this course. So this is the idea of a prerequisite, something that, that comes before, something that's required in order for this to happen. Now, people will often say, as I said before, uh, that justifying faith or free justification stands opposed To good works. It it steals away your motivation for good works. But what, what I think this text is saying is that actually it's the opposite. Rather than justifying faith or free justification standing in the way of sanctification, justifying faith is actually a prerequisite for sanctification. Paul is saying that before faith, before justifying faith, there is a veil over your heart. And even though you may be approaching God, you may be hearing God's word, you may be reading the Bible, you may be trying to pursue some righteousness, there's a veil over your heart. You can't rightly see God's word, and therefore you can't rightly see God. And so you resort, as we talked about last week, as long as this veils over your heart. You resort last week to pursuing righteousness by obeying some code. Everybody's doing it. Everybody has some code of justification. By this code, by this achievement, I will justify myself, and this is the common posture of everyone outside of this veil being removed. And of course, Christians believe something very different. As we said last week. Again, I'm high level going through these truths. Listen to last week's sermon on the podcast if you missed it. But Christians believe that we can only be justified by the saving work of Christ. So again, someone may say. As I just said, if, ju- if free justification is true, then you've taken all of people's motivation away, the, the, you've taken all the motivation away for people to do good. And again, I would say the opposite is true. Justifying faith rather than being a barrier to doing good is actually the prerequisite to ever do anything good at all. If the only reason that you do something good for others, let's say, is to be seen by God so that one day God will reward you, God will save you, then do you really have any love for the people that you're serving or are you just selfishly motivated seeking some reward or seeking some prevention from punishment, right? If the only reason that you serve God and love God is so that God will look down on you and say, all right, you've done, you've, you've, you've checked off the list, you've done enough service now, now you're forgiven. If the only reason you've done that, is there any real love for God in your heart or are you actually doing good under the guise of selfish intention? This is why there's an old Belgic Confession 16th century confession that says this, listen to this, far from making people cold toward living in a pious and holy way, this justifying faith, quite to the contrary, so works within them that apart from it, they'll never do a thing out of love for God, but only out of love for themselves and out of fear of condemnation. See, this confession is saying that without justifying faith, without justification in the righteousness of Christ alone, without the free justification that God has freely given you in Christ, then you'll always be trying to justify yourselves. You'll always be trying to obey some law. You'll always be trying to obey some code. You'll always be trying to prove your own righteousness, Without justifying faith, your efforts will always be aimed at yourself and not at God. But once you know you've been set free, once if you really believe this, if you really believe that you've been given perfect righteousness that is yours in Christ, once you believe that God is showing you through faith, His love in a high and deep and wide and broad way. Once you believe this, then you're free to actually be a good person and to actually love God because you love God and to actually love others because you love others. I led a trip to Israel a few years ago. It's been several years ago now. My parents went along. This was when I was back in Covington. My parents came along, and uh, we had a great time together, and there was a time on the trip when I hadn't gotten any cash. I, hadn't, I had no cash on hand, and I needed some cash. And so my dad was there, and so, like many times before in my life, I, uh, I borrowed $100. I said, hey, can I borrow $100? I'll, I'll pay you back. Somebody you know, gave me the $100. Well, then later in the trip, um, I was with my dad again, and he saw this necklace that he, he wanted to buy for my mom. And I think the necklace was like $60 or something. And so I said, oh, this is perfect. I'll buy the necklace, and then here's $40. I'll give you the $40. I'll buy you the $60 necklace, and then we'll be even. Well, there was a a man that was sitting there watching this conversation, and he said, Jason, you'll never be even with your dad. (laughs) He's like, you may pay him back this debt, but you're not going to be even with him, And you know what? He's absolutely right. I can never be even with my dad. I can never repay my father back for all of the time and energy and money and love that he has freely poured out on me. And you know what? I don't even try. I don't even care. I'm not trying to earn my father's love. I know I have my father's love. I'm not trying to pay my father back for something that he's done for me. How foolish would that be? I could never, ever, ever, ever pay back the gift of love that my dad has given me so I don't even try. But you see, now from that place of having been given by my father, amazing, and enormous love so freely, now when I do give him a gift, When I do show him love, when I do call him up and say, man, dad, I love you, I'm so grateful for you. When I do those things, it comes from a place of actual love for my father. Not trying to win his affection. I already have his affection. I'm not trying to pay him back for what he's done. He, he did that because he wanted to do that. And, and that's why justifying faith is a prerequisite for sanctification. Until you realize that you in Christ, through faith in Christ, have been given a complete and whole and perfect record, the very righteousness of Jesus, until you realize that you already have that, you'll never be able to actually serve God and love God and pursue holiness You'll always be trying to justify yourself. You'll always be resorting back to the code until you realize that you're already rich in God. You'll never be able to really and purely serve him. So again, if you've really been justified and the Holy Spirit has come and to live and to work in your life, then you have been set free from self-justification and you can actually be a good person, which is why the Belgic Confession that I read earlier goes on to say, so then... It's impossible for this holy faith to be unfruitful, right? When you realize what God has already done for you, you can't be unfruitful. Seeing that we do not speak of an empty faith, but what the scripture calls faith working through love, which leads a man to do by himself, implying without coercion, without, without the fear of you know punishment, without the desire to be noticed or to justify oneself, leads a man to do by himself the works that God has commanded in his word. So again, first point, justifying faith. Rather than being a barrier to sanctification, it actually is the prerequisite to sanctification. But secondly, the one thing I want to look at with you today is the result of sanctification. What is being sanctified like? What is God doing here in our sanctification so if through faith in Christ you have received the record of Christ, if you have been declared by God just as righteous as Jesus is, just if I'd never sinned like we talked about last week, then through sanctification God is actually making you into the man or woman that he has already declared you to be. If through justification, God declares you to be righteous, to be as righteous as Christ through faith in the saving work of Jesus, then the process of sanctification is God actually producing that righteousness in your life. And as God does this, as God produces this righteousness in your life, and this is the exciting fruit that I want you to really take hold of today, what he is actually doing is he's setting you free. This is what Paul says. It says, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, when you really experience the spirit of the Lord, when the veil's been lifted, and, and you can really hold on to what God has done for you, and God sends his spirit, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's actual freedom. Now, this is a theme. You know, Matt said, the Bible says this in 10,000 ways. You, you see that all over the Bible. You know, the, there's this theme throughout the Bible, and it's certainly throughout the writing of Paul, that the law is powerless. You, you get that, don't you? The code, the law is powerless. This is what Paul's trying to say. The law is powerless. The law cannot make you righteous. All the law can do is prove that you aren't righteous, right? If you're obeying the law, if you're saying, you know what? I'm going I'm to obey the law. I'm going to do what the law says, even though I hate it. You may appear righteous. You may be acting righteously but you are actually proving what? That you're not righteous, right? You're proving that you have to be conformed to the law, that your heart and the law are two different things. The law can control your behavior, but it doesn't actually make you righteous. The law is powerless. The law can't make you righteous. It can only reveal that you aren't righteous. This is one of the great misnomers of Christianity. Christianity is not about modifying your behavior so that you'll appear to be righteous. That's called moralism, right? And moralism is a false religion that many Christians believe, and and if you hold on to moralism, you will go to hell. It will never save you. The law cannot make you righteous. It can only reveal to you that you aren't righteous. Christianity is about being given a perfect record, the record of Jesus himself, and then By the power of the Holy Spirit, God actually making you into a righteous person through this process called sanctification. And God's goal here is that his desires and your desires would be the same. God's goal here is that you would desire and want the same things that God wants. This is the goal of sanctification where our heart is changed, where our desires are changed. This is sanctification. And again, the result is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, when the spirit is really working himself out in your life, the result here is freedom. you might say, well, what is freedom? And some of y'all have heard me say this before. I love this definition. But you are free when you do what you want to do when what you want to do is what you ought to do. You're only free when you do what you want to do when what you want to do is what you ought to do. If you're just doing what you want to do and what you want to do is not what you ought to do, then you'll lose your freedom, right? It may feel like freedom for a time. You could leave church today and drive away from here as fast as you want to drive. You can do that, but eventually you'll lose your freedom, Eventually, you'll get caught, you'll get a ticket, you'll have your license suspended. You can leave church today and go have McDonald's for lunch. And you can have McDonald's for dinner and for breakfast tomorrow, for lunch the next day. You can eat McDonald's every single meal. But eventually, you're free to do that. But eventually, you'll lose your freedom of having blood flow through your arteries, right? (laughs) If you're a married man, you're tired of your wife. You're tired of being committed to her. You're free to go and sleep around. But eventually, you'll lose the freedom of a wife. You'll lose the freedom of integrity. You'll lose the freedom of honor. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, I love this quote he says, The eternal law of God takes fearful vengeance where it is attacked and distorted. The eternal law of God takes fearful vengeance where it is attacked or discorded. I just want you to say this. God's laws do exist. God's laws do exist. We live in a world where this is escapable. We may want to say that there is no order in this world. We may want to say that there's no definition of this world, but that's just not true. That's just not the way it is. There is order. There is definition. These laws, they're invisible sometimes, but they're out there. They do exist. They exist, and we cannot escape them. No matter how hard we may try. You know, some of y'all have heard this story when I was a kid and I wanted to fly so bad. And I literally jumped off the top of the monkey bars thinking I was about to fly. Thinking as a foolish child that I was going to break the law of gravity and begin to fly. And the result was I fell down to the earth and broke my arm. I didn't. I tried to break the law of gravity. But here's the thing. There is a law that exists in the universe. In case you're not aware, take it from me. There is this law that exists called gravity. And when it is distorted, (laughs) when you try to mess with it, it will take fearful vengeance upon you. Now, laws like gravity are good laws, right? I like the laws like gravity because if you try to break gravity, The vengeance that it takes is immediate, right? You don't have to wait around for gravity to do its work. But I just want you to hear this. There are other laws of God that exist, and the vengeance that they take are much slower. They're much more gradual. If you have a habit of lying, you may not see the consequences of that for years, but The law of God always takes fearful vengeance when it is broken or when it is distorted. If you cheat on your taxes, smudge reports at home or at work, that may not catch up with you for a long time. If you're looking at porn, men, women, you may get away with that for a really long time, but hear this, the laws of God always take fearful vengeance when they're distorted. If you're not guarding your time with your wife, or your husband, if you're, not, if you're neglecting your time with the Lord, you may get away with that because those laws, unlike gravity, they're not immediate. But this is true that the eternal law of God always eventually takes fearful vengeance where it is attacked and distorted. And so you see that you're only free when you do what you want to do, but when what you want to do is what you ought to do. And such is the great hope and the great gift and the great result of sanctification. That God is giving you his mind and his heart, his desires. You're only free when your desires line up with God's desires. Again, this isn't moralism, this isn't behavior modification, this is freedom and this is what God desires to do in all of our lives, to set us free. That we would actually only ever do what we wanna do. Because we only ever want to do what we ought to do. And you might be saying, well hold on. How, is, how, how does that happen? How does God do this? How does this work itself out in my life? Which, which brings me to the last point, which is the way of sanctification. What is it that makes you righteous? What is it that works this out in your life? Now, we we use different techniques to try to get people to move toward behavior or toward righteousness. With our kids, you know, we use fear, right? Or we use reward, right? If you if you don't do this or you do this, you're gonna get it. Or if you you know you do this, then you'll get a reward. Right? We use fear, we use reward. Now the irony in this is it might actually make these this this system, and again, I'm grateful for this because sometimes we gotta be grateful for behavior modification. <laughs> I'm grateful that some of our children are having their behavior modified, but I I just want to say that actually isn't producing righteousness in them. and Sometimes it's just producing anxiety in them. Sometimes it's it's producing pride in them. Sometimes it's producing greater self-centeredness in them. How do we actually bring about true sanctification? Again, the answer is in this passage, verse 18. We all with an unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now let me put this very simply for you. When the Spirit-filled heart is interacting with the Word of God, with the people of God, and with the mission of God, then that heart is able to see the beauty of God and thereby is conformed to his image. I I'm say that again. When a spirit filled heart is interacting with the Word of God, with the people of God, and with the mission of God, then that heart is able to see the beauty of God and is thereby conformed to his image. When I was a kid, I think the most terrifying movie scene that I got to watch as a kid was the scene on Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it was um, it was the scene at the end. Some of y'all remember this movie. And there's this terrifying scene at the very end of the movie. If you remember Indiana Jones, he's racing with the Nazis to try to find the Ark. He finds it, but the, the Nazis steal it. And then they go, and one night they go to this place and they're going to open the Ark. Okay? If you remember this scene, it's terrifying. Don't watch it. It's probably not something you should be watching. But anyway... It's a terrifying scene, and, and, and I won't necessarily describe the scene, and there's a lot of things that probably aren't that biblical in the scene, but one thing that the scene gets to is very biblical, and it's this idea that in the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of God is, there is an awe and a fear about that. If you remember, the Ark of the Covenant was where literally the Holy Spirit of God dwelled among the people in the Old Testament, And through the whole description of the ark being among the people, it was a terrifying thing. It was a wonderful thing. The People wanted the the spirit of God to be among them, but they also were incredibly fearful of this. Even the scene of God filling the ark is an amazing scene. There was another time in Scripture where the Philistines stole the ark away from the Hebrew people. And, and everybody in the Philistine camps in the cities got sick. And eventually they said, you know, we got to get rid of this thing. There was another scene where they were bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. And it was on a cart. It wasn't, they were being carried how they were They were told to be carrying the ark. And there's this guy, Uzzah, who reached out to touch the ark, to stable it, to keep it from falling off the cart. And he immediately died. I remember being a kid and reading that and thinking like, wow, this is, is Not nice. Then we later in life reading a Jonathan Edwards sermon that basically says, Who was Uzzah to think that he could touch the presence of God? And this is the this is the kind of awe and fear. Actually, after that scene, David says, Who am I to bring the ark to Israel into his image? We all with unfailed, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. And so I want to say, these things that I'm talking about here, the word of God, the people of God, the mission of God, when we interact with these things of God, some, sometimes you might want to call these the spiritual disciplines. They themselves don't sanctify us, but what the spiritual disciplines do, what, what, what our Christian life and living does is it puts us in an environment where the spirit-filled heart can see the beauty of God. So, for example, you're here today listening to this sermon. Now, some of you are here listening, and you're thinking, this is a nice sermon. Maybe I'll get a little tidbit. But some of you are here listening, and in your heart right now, the Spirit of God is coming alive. and You're hearing the Word of God, and it's as if it's the Word of God. It's not just this ancient book. It's no God is actually speaking to me right now. God is teaching me right now. What's happening is by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're seeing the Lord. You're seeing the beauty of God and being conformed, being transformed in his image. Some of you will go home this week and you'll read the Bible. And some of you will read the Bible and you'll think, this is good, this is wise, this is good stuff some of you will read that same Bible. And the Spirit of God will come alive in your heart. And you, through those words, will begin to see the power of God. And God will speak to you and convict you and change you and encourage you and shape you. And what is he doing? He's conforming you into the image. You're seeing the beauty of God and being conformed to the same image. Some of you, you know, when you'll have community group this week, you'll meet with other Christians. And some of you are like, you know, I like Christians, they're nice people. But some of you, when you get together, with other people that love God and they're pursuing God, it's like breathing for you. It's like, oh, I needed this. Why? Because the Spirit of God is at work in your heart. The Spirit of God is at work in their hearts. And when Christians come together, God has this way of showing himself, being among them. You begin to see and experience the power of God and you're conformed, you're changed, you're shaped into the same image, to the very image of God. And this is why we're always talking about these things here. (laughs) We always talk about these like nine behaviors. We have all these field guides, we have a a guide to help you read your bible more faithful we have guys that help you with family worship and with connecting with one another and with your personal devotion and with supporting the church and with serving the church and with serving our city and, and on and on these nine things that we talk about all the time because we believe that these are these are arenas these are avenues where the spirit of god so works in your heart and in your life that you'll begin to see the power of god and you'll be changed you'll be sanctified you'll be made holy and you'll be set free And I can't think of a better way to end our sermon, to end our service today, uh, than by by looking at one of the means that God uses to reveal himself, to show himself, to show the power of his gospel, and that is through believer's baptism. One of the ways that a spirit-empowered heart can see the beauty of God, to see the power of God, and so change you so conform you to his image is by being a part taking a part in believers baptism and so here's what we're going to do we're not going the service is not over but the service is about to move the service is about to shift okay so here's what I want you to do I want you to very quietly and very cautiously I don't know if you have to use that much caution but some caution and move out into the hallway area, and we have four people that are coming before our church today to be baptized. Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. If you have any prayer needs, questions, or comments about the sermon, we would love to hear from you. So please text us at 678-951-9041, or feel free to email Jason at jason at christcovenant.com.